Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 216. Today is February 19th, 2017. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at InvestableWealth.com. Well, today I want to take a break from talking about the stock market, and I want to talk about negotiating skills, specifically the technique of distraction. Now, this is important for many reasons, and it even has a corollary that I think will help you be a better investor. So if you only listen to the podcast for stock tips, I think you still want to listen to this episode. Before we get started, I will briefly mention that my positions in the stock market have not changed. I bring that up because I'm constantly getting asked what I'm doing in light of, you know, whatever the particular situation is. I want to reiterate, and this is especially for the new people, everything I do is documented over at investablewealth.com. If I add or close a position in my portfolio, I blog about it over there under the heading of observations and commentary. And so while I don't always get out podcasts in a timely manner, if I make a trade, I do have that commitment with you that I'll do my best to get it up over at investablewealth.com on the blog post over there. You can subscribe to that. It's free of charge. I don't ever take down the information. It's there that you can go back and reference and look at. So as far as my portfolio, it's it remains the same. Overall, I'm happy with the performance. Walt Disney Company has surprisingly broken out. That's near, uh, pretty darn close to a, a double-digit gain. That's the type of performance and returns I was also looking at from Starbucks and Walmart. That was all part of the landmine, dividend-paying, Dow Jones Industrial blue chip strategy that carried over from last year when I was more concerned about a market correction. And so I'm happy with Disney, but I'm still waiting on uh, Walmart and Starbucks to break out. I'm a patient man, so I'll wait through that. As far as the other parts of my portfolio, heavily focused on overseas stocks. That's my premise for the beginning of this year, that long-term we're going to see foreign stocks outperform the U.S. market. There's a number of reasons for that. One is simply a matter of regression to the mean. If you look over the past, oh, three or four years, global equities, almost all sectors, have underperformed the U.S. stock market. Again, there's a number of reasons why I think that's going to change, but one reason is just standard regression to the mean. Markets either get oversold or overbought, and when they regress back to their mean, they tend to go back to where their true value is. I happen to think that international stocks should be being purchased right now at a higher multiple than they are. They are certainly discounted quite a bit compared to the high valuations we see in U.S. stocks. So that doesn't mean there isn't going to be a big market pullback and international stocks won't suffer. I don't think that's the case. There's always a risk in the stock market. What I do think, though, is that from a valuation standpoint, there is more to be gained, more bang for the buck, if you will, on international stocks than currently on U.S. stocks. As far as the focus on international stocks, again, all this is over at investablewealth.com. I invested in a number of ETFs, everything from investing in Ireland, Malaysia, Mexico, um, even Israel. The ones that are performing the best are generally more the emerging market type status. So VWO, that's Victor Whiskey Oscar, Vanguard Emerging Market Fund, has performed the best so far for me year to date. Right behind there, though, is things like uh, Israel, which really isn't an emerging market. It's more of a high-tech market, uh, but that's performing well. There's a lot of healthcare stocks and 
high-tech things in, in the Israeli economy, too, that are being favored right now. Uh, but India and Malaysia are, are certainly performing very well. And then even Mexico, which I know a lot of you thought I was crazy for for buying, uh, Mexico was up nearly you know 4% uh, year-to-date. I pretty much bought Mexico either at the beginning of this year or, or very late last year. I don't remember off the top of my head when I purchased it. But overall, Mexico is performing extremely well considering all the risks that are going on with the potential for border taxes and tariffs and everything we're hearing coming out of Washington. So, hey, I don't want to talk about this again. Let's talk about negotiating. And oddly enough, it's going to come back to Mexico. So let's start out this whole discussion on negotiation with, you know, the question of, hey, why should you care? Well, you know, Wealthsteading Podcast is all about helping you build wealth. It's not only about trading stocks or saving it's about helping you learn wealth building principles. And you understanding negotiating techniques is extremely important as you try and build and pursue your wealth. Now, there's a lot of reasons we can talk about this, but I'll tell you, negotiating skills are important. Uh, if for nothing else, these two reasons are the most important. Number one, you are compensated to the degree you can negotiate. Now, that's not my original quote. Um, I think that's a paraphrase of something I heard many, many years ago. I can remember in the early 1990s when I was in, cor in the corporate world and I was traveling all the time, flying a lot on airplanes. No matter what airline magazine you picked up, you know, those free little magazines that they, they put in, this, in the seat covers. No matter what one of those you picked up, there would always be a very prominent ad displayed by a gentleman. I can't remember the top, his name off the top of my head, but one of his quotes in there was something like, you aren't paid what you're worth, you're paid what you negotiate. And I've derived my thoughts on that to very much parallel what he said. Now, I never bought his program or read his book, but I learned about negotiating in, in other methods and other programs. And truer words were never spoken. You are not compensated for what you're worth. You're compensated based on your ability to negotiate. If you go to a job interview, even though you may be highly qualified, you may be a rainmaker, you may be able to produce better than anybody else at that company. But if you don't negotiate in an effective manner and properly project to them your abilities and what you can do, you're never going to get the job. And even if you do get it, if you're a poor negotiator, you're going to get paid a whole lot less than what you deserve. That's just the nature of the market. It really doesn't have anything to do with greed or people trying to rip you off. It's just the way things work. Think about it in your own life. Say you're driving down the road. There's a gas station. It's selling gas for $2.50 a gallon. On the left-hand side of the street, directly across from it, they're selling gas for $2 a gallon. Where are you going to buy your gas? Right? You're going to make the left-hand turn, pull into the gas station that's 50 cents cheaper. Likewise, if you have an employee or you're involved in some other type of a negotiation where you're hiring a service, whether you're hiring a person or a company or you're buying an app, uh, buying gasoline, it doesn't matter what it is, you're always going to look at the price. The price is part of the discovery mechanism that runs our whole economy. You're only going to pay a higher price. You're only going to put a premium on a product or service if the person that's selling that or the company that's representing it is, has somehow convinced you that it has more value. They do that through negotiating. So when you go in for a job interview, it works exactly the same way. If you're willing to take a job for $55,000 a year, then that's what you'll settle for, even though your skill level may justify you to be paid $75,000. So negotiating techniques are extremely important because, again, I want to stress this, you are compensated to the degree you can negotiate. The other reason negotiating skills are important, 
are that they help you to not be taken advantage of. So even if you are not actively negotiating in your own right, you know, if you're on the receiving end of it, by recognizing negotiation techniques, you'll know if you're getting snowed or if you're about to get some kind of a con job. Where this really comes back to buying stocks and what you need to know as an investor is that much of the information that you receive is information that you're being fed specifically by the company, by the company's CEO, by the company's investor relations group, by their public relations person, or by people that they employ in the media or through other methods in social media to have you believing that their company's stock is going to appreciate. We've talked about this many times. Go back and listen to my series on propaganda. That's Wealth Building Principle number 8. It's the 8th episode of this podcast that's archived over in iTunes. By understanding propaganda, you understand that everything that's coming to you is basically BS, right? It's baloney sandwich. It may be accurate, it may be factual, but it's constructed in such a narrative to have a positive spin on it so that you take your hard-earned money and go out and buy a stock in a particular company. Usually whenever you turn on the TV, the talking heads are always going to tell you about how well the market's going. Company CEOs never get on TV and tell you how bad things are. This is the same thing that happens with our politicians. I played the clip a few weeks ago, I think it was, where we had you know, Donald Trump, prior to being president, he was talking about the economy and the stock market being a big, ugly bubble. Right Now that he's elected, his story has changed. But underneath, the fundamentals haven't changed. We have a new president, but we have all the same old problems. And so by understanding and recognizing negotiating techniques, you can know if that used car salesman is trying to pull the wool over your eyes or whether some CEO is on Jim Cramer and he's talking up his stock. You'll be able to recognize some of these techniques that he might be using to know that that CEO is just blowing smoke, that if he had a real story to tell, he would be telling it and he wouldn't be using these manipulating techniques. So it's definitely worth your time to understand negotiating techniques. Now, in today's episode, I'm not going to cover the topic in depth. In fact, I'm only going to talk about one specific element or one specific skill that's used in negotiating. I think this one is the most effective. I think it's the one that's most often used. And I'm bringing it up now because it's also something that's very timely. I have an example that's right out of the current news that I want to tell you about. I like using these episodes to do that to, to where we talk not only about a principle, but we relate it to something that's currently happening so you can better apply it to your own particular situation. So the negotiating technique that I want to talk about now is that of distraction. Distraction is the most widely used technique because it is so effective. Think about distraction not as a negotiating term, but think of a magician. What is really the, the essence, the element of every magician's act? It's distracting your attention. He's moving his right arm. He's flicking his hat. He's moving a wand. Or he's doing some other kind of motion where he's trying to get you to look at his right hand. And all along, he's performing some type of a trick with his left hand. That's where the rabbit's going to come out of the hat from. Or that's where the card is going to be pulled out of the bottom of the deck or that's the hand he's going to use to undo the lock or the handcuffs or, you know, whatever the trick is. The whole magic act is based on distracting your attention. That's negotiating in a nutshell. Look at most negotiations, whether it be political or of a financial nature or, or even something just as simple as buying a used car. If you go out and buy a used car, one of the salesman's negotiating tactics, if not his whole repertoire, is going to be distracting your attention. 
He doesn't want you to see that you're paying way too much for this car by showing you the bottom line price. So what's he do? He distracts you from looking at the true cost of the car and talks about the monthly payments. Oh, it's only 199 a month. He doesn't tell you that that car over you know, a seven-year lease is going to cost you twice as much what it should. He's getting you to focus on that 199 a month because that's very affordable. And it's something that distracts you from recognizing the true value or the lack of value of the car in this case. What other techniques is that used car salesman going to use to distract you? He's going to get you to look at how nice the car looks, right? It's going to be detailed. The paint's going to be shiny. The interior's going to be cleaned out. It's going to smell nice. He doesn't want you to look under the hood and see that the belts are worn out, to notice that it's leaking transmission fluid, and that the spark plug cables are all frayed, right? He doesn't want you looking under the hood. He's going to distract your attention from the important mechanical features that can be very costly to repair, and he's going to try and get you to look at, hey, look at those uh, rims. Aren't they nice and shiny? Meanwhile, the tires are bare, have no tread on them. The used car salesman uses the distraction technique because it's so effective. A prime example of this, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode today, was the amazing example of distraction that we're seeing take place in the political arena. And what I find fascinating about this is not that it's occurring because it happens all the time, but what amazes me about it is I have not heard any of the pundits or talking heads point this out. Now, maybe they do. I honestly don't watch much media because it makes me nauseous. But from the high-level observations that I, that I have with the news networks, I've heard a lot of objections about this next topic I'm going to bring up, but I haven't heard anybody point out the most obvious, which is that it's purely a distractionary negotiation technique. Now, what I'm going to talk about is, it's, I'm going to give you a trigger warning. I'm going to talk about something that Donald Trump is doing right now. And I'm going to send this out as a trigger warning because I know from the emails I receive and the conversations I have with members of the audience, half of you love Donald Trump, half of you hate Donald Trump. Now, I'm going to digress here just for a second and remind you of whether George Bush or Barack Obama or Donald Trump as president is something that I have no control over and something that I can do very little about. And so while I watch these people closely, I watch their actions, I watch what they do, I don't watch it from a standpoint of like a spectator sport where I'm cheering for my team to win or I'm cheering for the other guy's team to lose. I'm only watching the political process so that I can understand how I can profit from it. Okay, so I'm going to talk about something that Donald Trump has been doing. He is a master negotiator. No, again, whether you love him or hate him, put that aside. Just look at the results that he is able to achieve with his negotiating techniques. And one of them that's been on display for more than a year now has been what he's saying about building the wall between the U.S. and Mexican border. Now, people have, I want to mention here, I said I haven't heard anybody talk about this. There have been commentators that have talked about Trump's negotiating skill, particularly with the Mexican government, where he's overreaching and then he's going to be willing to back off and take less in the negotiation, right? That's always a technique you use. You always ask for more than you think you're going to get. That's hardly worth even talking about, though, when we talk about negotiating techniques because it's so blatantly obvious. So in regards to what Trump has been saying about the wall in Mexico or the wall with Mexico, I'm not talking about whether he's overreaching or not. I want to point out specifically how he's been using the distraction technique so effectively. And this 
I think more than anything, really helped him in the primaries to not only distinguish himself from the other candidates that were running on the Republican ticket, but also as a negotiating tool, it's so amorphous and so easy to maneuver around and to shape and change at any particular event that he can always use it to his favor. He can never really be wrong with the position he's taking. And that also played well for him in the general election, and it's working out for him now that he's president, because in talking about building a border wall, he's changed the dialogue of the debate. Have you noticed it? Do you know what I'm going to say next? It has nothing to do with building the wall. What is really all the negotiating and the arguing and all the headlines you see? It's about who will pay for the wall. That's right. It's not about building the wall. It's about payment for the wall. Go back to the early days of the Republican primaries when Donald Trump first started talking about building a wall. Okay, that's, that's a physical thing that you do. And from a negotiating standpoint, either for or against it, there are very fundamental and legitimate arguments that can be made on either side of it. It's very objective because it's building something. Now, a wall is going to consist of cement and wire and monitoring systems, and it's going to have you know, a specific geographic path it has to follow. It has all these conditions because it's a physical thing. And so since it's a physical thing, a lot of arguments can be made for and against it with hard facts. But what did Donald Trump do when people started to challenge him on the actual feasibility of building the wall? And again, I'm not coming at this from a political platform at all. I, I have no ideology one way or the other on it. The point I'm trying to make is that when you defend something that's of a physical form, you've already defined the debate, you've defined the argument, because you're going to argue about how much cement to use, or how tall should the wall be, or how wide should it be, or you know, should it go from point A to point B, or point B to point C. When you do that, you get pulled down in all the minutia, and it's easy to get tripped up. So what did Donald Trump do? Early in the debate, he changed the narrative. He distracted the negotiation by not talking about building the wall. He put his emphasis on who would pay for the wall. And over the last 12 months or so, that has served him extremely well. Because now we're not talking about a physical thing. We're not talking about the cement and the bricks and the mortar and the bobbed wire and all that. We're talking about a concept, right? Who, who will pay for it? And remember, money is fungible. Even if you charge the Mexican government directly, number one, it doesn't mean they're going to pay for it, right? They're not going to necessarily reimburse you. So that's an argument. And then even if they do physically reimburse the U.S. for building the wall, well, where did the money come from? Since money is fungible, was it money that came out of the drug cartel's wallets? Or was it money that ultimately is being paid by the U.S. consumer because the products that they are receiving from Mexico are higher than they otherwise would have? Okay, and again, I'm not arguing one way or the other ideology or what's effective or what's proper or any of that. I'm just pointing out that when Donald Trump moved the argument from he's going to build the wall to Mexico's going to pay for the wall, that distracted the debate. It pulled a lot of wind from other people's sails, and he held the advantage in the dialogue thereafter because he set the debate of what was being talked about. People couldn't present him with facts about, oh, it's physically impossible to build the wall, or this or that, or even that the wall is going to be too expensive, because the argument was, it doesn't matter if it's too expensive, Mexico is going to pay. And then, so it takes it out of the arena of hard facts and puts it into the arena of emotion. 
And then that emotion he could play over into other things, like making America great again, bringing jobs back to America. Again, whether you like the guy or hate the guy, you have to look at his success rate. Donald Trump is the only Republican president since Ronald Reagan, since, you know, 1980s. How long ago was that? Right, 30 years. He's the only Republican in 30 years to win the Democratic, blue-collar, working-class American strongholds of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Election night, when I was watching TV and I was watching the election results come in, I was moderately surprised to see him win Pennsylvania. I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, I'm from western Pennsylvania, where he won big. So so that didn't totally shock me. I, I understood that culture, and I understood how that state potentially could go Republican. But when he won Michigan, Wisconsin, I was flabbergasted. That hasn't happened since Ronald Reagan was president. So again, love him or hate him, you have to acknowledge the man is a negotiator. He's a master salesman. He's a great self-promoter. And the reason that should be important to you is not for political reasons, but it should be important to you so that you learn how to be a better negotiator. So that you can negotiate a higher compensation from your employer so that you can negotiate a better deal when you're out buying a car or a refrigerator or buying a piece of real estate. And from an investing point, you should be knowledgeable so that you can tell whenever you're being fed a line of BS coming out of Wall Street. So there it is, Negotiation Skills 101 in a nutshell. Learn and understand the distraction technique. It's what the magician uses. It's something you should know how to use and you should be aware of. Well, that'll wrap it up for today. As always, I appreciate your listening. 